But good morning. My name's Jordan again. Hasn't changed. I'm the adult ministry pastor here at Soul Sanctuary. And it's a pleasure to be able to share the, the life lesson with you this morning as we continue in our series, God in the Movies. Um, and so this morning, we are going to be looking at the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. How many of us have seen this before? Anyone? This is like a classic in my books, right? Like I, I, I grew up watching this movie. There's certain scenes in this movie that I think are going to make us laugh. I think some of them are going to make us shake our head. Some of them are borderline going to make us cry as we get towards the end. And some of them I didn't show for a reason, okay? And so uh, we're going to be going through this today and just kind of pulling out some spiritual truths. In case this is your first time joining us for God in the Movies, I just want to uh, point out that... Um, God in the Movies is a series of life lessons where we literally just follow stories that are portrayed on the Hollywood screen in different movies. And it's a, it's a series where we kind of bring our story to the table, we bring God's story to the table, and we, we look at the story as seen on the screen, and we pull spiritual truths out of it from the scriptures on how these movies deal with issues that we face in our lives as well. And so this morning we're going to be taking a look at the classic um, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which was written by John Hughes. And it starred Steve Martin and the late John Candy, who uh, many of us, I'm sure, loved his movies. Uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles tells the story of two guys who cross each other's paths and they come together in an attempt to get one of them home for the holidays, and the holiday being Thanksgiving in America. And uh, Neil is the main character, and that's played by Steve Martin. And Del, Del Griffith is played by John Candy. And they come together almost accidentally. And it begins this long, awkward, kind of humorous, uh, painful at times journey. As through attempt after attempt to get Neil home to his family in time for Thanksgiving. They keep running into roadblocks. They keep running into cancellations. They keep running into snags and all sorts of problems along the way. And how many of you know that that bodes a recipe that, that makes our relationship slightly full of tension and slightly interesting at times, uh, especially if we're getting in the way of each other, right? <laughs> and so our topic this morning that we're going to explore is the challenge and blessing of life and the relationships it brings. And so uh, with that intro, uh, let's take a look at the opening scene of the movie. Ain't that a way to open the, the story, eh? And so the movie begins with Neil basically hustling to get a taxi that's going to get him to the airport so he can catch his flight, get home in time for Thanksgiving. And in that scene, he makes eye contact with another gentleman and instantly it becomes like a competition, right? they got to get to that cab first. But what's even funnier is, is he, he loses that one, but the second cab he wants to get, he pays $75 for it and somebody jumps in it and kind of steals it on him. And that somebody is the other main character in the movie, uh, Dell, who we're going to find out about later. And uh, later on, you'll realize that in the first cab that he missed, he actually tripped over Dell's trunk on his way in there. And uh, I think this, this story, just to begin with, brings a lot of natural desires and a lot of things out about our own lives that we could think of. I, I think in life, our natural desire is to get what pleases us. Um, we look out for ourselves, don't we? I think it's a natural instinct that we have. I, I don't know about you, but for me, I've never been taught that I have to look out for myself, that I have to do things uh, to get what I want, but it seems to come naturally to me. And if I look through my routines, if I look through my habits, if I look through how I plan the days, I see that oftentimes what I try to do is make sure that I look after the things that I feel that I need in life. Um, and so there's this mindset in our culture would tell us to look out for ourselves and to get it before someone else takes it from us. And if others get pushed over in the process, then so be it sometimes. And this was the mentality of the world that Jesus actually walked into. 
uh, when he came on the scenes in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You see, the Roman Empire was in charge in those days, and they were a vicious, cruel people who, who, who really, the mindset for them was to look out for themselves, even at the expense of others, and even at the expense of their own countrymen. And so this kind of mindset, if we're going to live this way, can bring all sorts of tensions and difficulties into our relationships with each other. And so if culture says one thing, then what does that mean for people who seek to follow Christ? Do we live under the rules of that culture, or perhaps did Jesus set up a culture of his own for his own followers? And so what would Jesus have to say about how his followers would live in this world? Well, we're going to look at our main text today in Matthew chapter 22 and verses 34 to 40, and he lays out a great command for us. Uh, the Bible says, hearing that Jesus silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question and said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied this way, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so Jesus tells us if we want to know what's the single greatest thing that we can do as his followers, it's to love God, it's to love people. And that these two things aren't disconnected, but that they actually work together. In other words, in the, in the ways in which I love God is also modeled in the ways in which I love people. And the ways in which I treat people is also very reflective of the love that I've received and known from God himself. You see, at the heart of the gospel is a focus and emphasis on how you and I treat each other. And that's kind of what I was getting into today when we were talking about communion, about how we're the body of Christ, how we come together, how we examine our relationships with one another. At the heart of the gospel is this emphasis on how we will treat one another. And that's why Jesus said the second is, is, is just like it. It's just like loving God. It's loving your neighbor as yourself. Uh, there's an emphasis on how we treat people around us, whom we can encounter anywhere. Um, and as we see in this movie, these chance encounters may not be as far off as we imagine. Uh, the emphasis remains within the family unit and remains true even outside these walls, that we are to love God, we are to love people. And so the scriptures devote a lot of time instructing us and giving us wisdom on how to treat each other. First John 4.19 says like this, says, We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And so based on what I've just read, we can conclude this this morning, that Jesus takes it personally how you and I treat one another. There seems to indicate something about our level of relationship with him and the way that we treat each other. And that's a tough teaching. That's a difficult teaching. That's one that we have to read this portion over and over again. We have to go back to scripture over and over again to fully understand that Jesus really takes it personally how we are going to treat one another. And in some way, it's connected to how we love him and how we've received his love in our own lives. Perhaps we could say it this way. Perhaps we could say the, the way in which I love God isn't just about the many ways in which I speak, uh, pray, praise, and worship him. But perhaps the way I love God is very much, also very much about the many ways in which I treat the people around me. 
whether that's in my workplace, whether that's in my family, whether that's in my circle of friends, whether that's in random encounters that I experience throughout all of life. You see, at the heart of the gospel is relationship. At the heart of God, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we see relationship. We were designed to live in community. We really do need each other. And yet, how many of us in this room have discovered that even though we need relationships, even though we need community, that it's not always easy, anyone? And so when it comes to relationships, we have to make sure to recognize that God cares about other people just as much as he cares about us, and how we conduct ourselves towards each other is so important. Author Jeremy Kingsley says it like this. He says, we naturally pursue what we think makes life best for us. And we, and we react negatively when someone or something gets in the way. The inclination to love ourselves is so strong that Jesus taps into it in an attempt to help us understand how we're supposed to love others. And that's why he said, love others as you love yourself. Because there's a natural instinct that we will love ourselves, that we will care for ourselves, that we will look out for what we have. You see, Jesus doesn't tell us to love others and neglect our own needs. He's not saying that. He's not saying to love other people and neglect your own needs. He just knows that most of us don't need to be taught to look out for ourselves. We do, however, need to be taught to love others. And Jesus says that we could tap into our natural instinct in order to learn how to do that. How would you like to be treated? How would you want others to treat you? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You see, in Philippians 2, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this to the church in Philippi. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Again, there's that tendency of us to want to look out for ourselves, you know, get the cab before the other guy, kind of run the rat race of life that we find in our world. And yet Jesus tells us that there's something so important about not just looking inwardly, but looking outwardly beyond ourselves. In Matthew chapter 7, we read this golden rule is what we've come to know it as. And Jesus says, in everything, so in everything, do to others what you'd have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. In other words, initiate it. Do to others what you would have them do to you. This sums up the law and the prophets, meaning that how we treat each other is no small matter. If this sums up what the law and prophets were trying to say, this is huge. This is of, of, of utmost importance in how we live our lives for Christ. And oftentimes in a society that tells us to get what pleases you, we need to recognize that at the heart of the gospel message isn't instant gratification or trampling over others to achieve our own ends, but it's a message really of self-denial and a message where we look to the needs of the people around us. And as we continue in this uh, movie this morning, as we continue to look at different clips, we're going to see how this relationship turns <laughs> and how uh, it has its ups and downs uh, throughout it. And so let's look at another clip here this morning um, on how these guys kind of get reacquainted again. Sometimes we encounter interesting people along life's journey, right? Uh, are, 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 isn't this so much more funnier watching this than living this, right, as we see it on the screen this morning? But what a neat scene. Uh, uh, so it's here they meet each other, Neil and Dell, kind of coming together, and it's already getting off to suspect starts, if I could say it like that, right? 
And uh, we see Neil at the beginning of this scene uh, kind of showing his entitlement that he has. And uh, he has a good complaint. He has a good argument. You know, he, if he booked a ticket where he booked it, he should be there. But we see that this goes beyond just uh, a simple, okay, sorry, uh, we, we, made, we made a mistake. But we see Neil complaining, and he's getting angry about not getting a ticket in first class and having to sit, you know, with the other people in coach. And uh, as fate would have it, he gets seated right next to Del Griffith, which is, uh, you know, perfect to make the movie happen. But, you know, just, just to start off this point here, as we look at this clip, clip, we see the mindset sometimes of our culture, sometimes fighting against the mindset of the scriptures. And what do I mean by that? Well, sometimes what we desire isn't always what's best for us. And sometimes the way we go about things, uh, we could use a little bit of talking to. Uh, James 1 says it like this. It says, what causes uh, fights and, uh, James 4, sorry, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask God, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And so here we see this mindset at work in Neil's life in this sense that, you know, he, he, he wants all this stuff, but it's all self-absorbed, it's all self-directed, it's very much has this idea of entitlement flowing with it. Uh, this past week, I went out for breakfast, and I remember getting my food at my table, and they forgot my, my uh, all the, pretty much everything I asked for. They forgot the syrup, they didn't bring any of the fruit I ordered, they didn't bring any of the whipped cream for the pancakes, right? And so I was sitting there thinking, like, getting upset, getting kind of angry, thinking, like, my food's getting cold, I want to eat, and, and I'm all the time, all the time, while this is happening, I'm preparing to speak on this movie, right? And, and it hits me kind of like a ton of bricks, like, uh, entitled much there, Pastor, right? It's almost like God kind of, you know, spoke to me, even through preparing for this, that sometimes we have this idea, we have this mindset that may not necessarily be one that's going to necessarily be healthy for us. You see, God can't be uh, utilized as just some means to, to satisfy our own lusts and desires. Uh, God won't be a facilitator of that kind of stuff, if we could just put it that way today. You see, entitlement, this idea of entitlement is not the way of the kingdom of God. And our culture totally and completely feeds into this mindset of entitlement and this idea of looking up for ourselves first, putting ourselves first, wanting what we want first. You see, every commercial that we see, it says to gratify yourself, to indulge yourself, to get whatever you want. Why? Because you deserve it, right? You deserve it. How many of you have heard a salesman say that to you? You deserve it. You should grab this today because you deserve it. And I remember thinking, yeah, like I really deserve that payment every month, right? And um, the problem is, is that Jesus said, in opposite, Jesus said this. He said, if you want to follow me, don't treat yourself. But he actually says, if you want to follow me, this is going to involve a little bit of denying yourself. It's going to involve a little bit of self-denial. And so if you want to be my disciple, don't indulge yourself, but deny your... But deny yourself, take up your cross, lay down your fleshy desires, and then follow me. Which, as we know, is easier said than done. You see, in 1 Corinthians 10.31, the Apostle Paul said these words. He says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so whatever you do, the whatever you do there is literally whatever you do. Whether it's doing laundry, whether you're running errands at work, whether you're parenting, it doesn't matter. Whether you're on an airplane about to sit and coach whether you're grabbing a coffee. The scriptures say that no matter how big or small the task is, that whatever you do, you can do it all for the glory of God. There is an opportunity in everything that comes our way that we can bring glory to his name. And that's convicting to me. 
Because sometimes when I look at my life, I, 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 I see this tendency that most of my whatever I do's often revolve around me and what I want to accomplish and what I want to see happen. I want to do what fulfills me, what fulfills my dreams, what fulfills my wants and my desires. And yet Jesus is calling on the other side of that cultural reality and he's saying, deny yourself. Follow me. And it's not always easy. And here's what I'm learning about the big thing about following God lately. Is that the big thing isn't out there somewhere. The big thing, you know, the prize of life isn't in just what you accomplish occasionally, like we're led to believe. But the big thing and the prize of life is found in what you do daily. The small, even ordinary, mundane things. The prize and the big thing is found even in that when you do it all for the glory of God. You see, the prize isn't just what you accomplish occasionally, even though those things are great. If you got that raise, that's awesome. If you got that job, that's fantastic. That engagement is super. But the prize is also in what you do daily when you do it for the glory of God. What if our daily interactions are a way in which we can bring glory to God? You see, the scriptures seem to indicate to us this morning that that is the case. Whatever you do, do it for his glory. And no more is this more useful than in how we interact with people, people we like and perhaps people we don't like so much. Each relationship and each interaction that we have that comes our way brings us an opportunity to bring glory to God or to do the opposite of that. You see, relationships, I've heard, are kind of like the wind of life. Not only can they bring the most pleasure in life, but they could also have the potential to bring the most pain. And when there is a lack of peace in our relationships, it robs us of the peace that we have sometimes in our own lives. Let me ask a quick question here this morning. How many of us this morning would say that there is at least one difficult person in my life? Raise your hands, okay? Anyone? Anyone? All right, we got some honest people. Thank you for your honesty this morning. You know, how many of you would say, um, I'm sitting next to that difficult person? Raise your hand, okay? No, I'm kidding. Don't do it. Don't do it. Hey, hey. I'm not trying to cause division here this morning. Don't go there. Let's practice wisdom. We're in church. You know, but the truth is, is that we all have difficult people in our lives. And I wish I could say that it's always them and their, but maybe perhaps I'm that difficult person to someone as well. And we all have difficult people in our lives. And I'll tell you why. People are difficult because people are different. And different is difficult. Different is often difficult. You see, for most of us, we think, you know, if people would just act like me, if they would just talk like me, if they would just have my personality, then maybe, you know, things would be easier, things would be better. And and, and different is not bad, but different presents opportunities for difficulty because we don't think alike and we don't have the same passions and we don't have all the same interests as each other. You see, one of the reasons why we have difficulties in our relationships is because people are different, and that can sometimes cause tension and problems for us. Different is difficult, and what's interesting is that God intentionally wants us to be in community, to be with people who are different than us. This was part of his plan. This wasn't some mistake. Uh, Each one of us in this room is uniquely made in his image. And this wasn't some mistake that God threw us all together in this room and wanted us all to be the exact same dress the exact same, watch the exact same TV, have the same interests. But the truth is, is that God made us uniquely different. And how many of you are thankful for that this morning? That each one of us brings a unique flavor here today. And it's not a mistake, but it was actually God's idea that we'd be different from one another. 
You see, each of us has different people in our lives, and I'm going to just kind of flip the script here for a second and use an illustration from superheroes because I, I read an article on this, and it kind of made sense to me, and I think it just throws up some of the interesting relationships that we have in our lives. But each of us has different kinds of people in our lives, and let me describe some of those relationships to you using superheroes. Uh, Batman will be the first one that we look at. Is he on the screen there? Awesome. Batman wears a mask, and so Batman's the kind of person who you never get to really know who they are because they don't let you in much. Uh, they don't talk a whole lot. They don't say a whole lot. You, you try to get close to them, but they just won't let you get there. You know, they're a bit standoffish, you know. You ask them how they're doing today, and they look at you. I'm Batman, right? And uh, they just kind of wear a mask. They don't let you in. Uh, secondly, we got the Joker. How many of you have one of these in your life? I think every one of us needs a Joker, right? Just one of those people who's just always laughing. Everything's a joke. Uh, everything's funny. Um, they just really know how to just, you know, not always have to be too serious, but they just bring relief into your life in a way. You, you know when you go up with this person, you're going to laugh all the time. This is how, you know, I feel about lots of my friends. Uh, thirdly, we have the Wolverine. Uh, unpredictable. You never know what they're going to do or what they're going to say or which one of them showed up today. Uh, it's like Jekyll and Hyde. Um, I'm sure some of us know these kinds of people and maybe sometimes are these kinds of people. Um, the next superhero is Wonder Woman. Do you ever have one of these friendships with someone who can just literally do everything and it's like, how do you do this? How do I keep up with you? You know, um, this morning before I met you, you know, I, I, I kind of just finished up my PhD. I sent it in to my, you know, professor. Um, I ran a marathon yesterday pushing a stroller, right? And my, and my kids' birthday parties are always on Pinterest, right? That one was for the ladies. I hope, I hope that makes sense. But they just do everything, and they get everything right, and you're like, ah, I just can't. This drives me crazy how good you are at everything. Uh, Superman. It's kind of like Mr. Perfect, uh, so good-looking, always one-upping you. Anyone have those people who are just always one-upping you? Those friends are so funny, eh, when you catch on to it. It's like, you know, I had a great day today, and then they, they immediately cut you off. Man, I even had a better one, right? My day was even better than great. You know, my day was amazing today. We have the Hulk, angry, outbursts. Hey, could you, what, don't talk to me, right? You know, you get into turning green and just someone who kind of gets upset easy. You know not to push their buttons. You know not to push their temper because you know it's going to come out. And then finally, Dr. Strange. And you know what? That's enough said. You know who you are, right? I don't need to explain uh, that one really anymore. But just to say this and just to make the point that we are not all the same, but we're uniquely designed on purpose, and that's a good thing, but sometimes it brings difficulty and challenges and tensions into our relationships in life. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing, but different can be difficult. Are you with me? Uh, sometimes it could just bring stuff into our relationships that we didn't expect. And uh, we're about to see difficulty in this next clip. So they're having some minor disagreements here, right? <laughs> <laughs> They're having a conversation, gets a little bit intense. Uh, if you'd watch the movie, you would see the mess that Dell made of the bathroom up until this point, how Neil had to dry off with a face cloth, and that he spilt beer all over the bed, and just all sorts of things. He snores, he smokes, all sorts of stuff is happening in this scene. 
And we are going to talk for a couple minutes about the power of our words, okay, uh, as, we, as we look at this story. You see, Neil just can't take it no more, and he kind of erupts it. He's saying everything that's on his mind over towards Dell, and Dell's just kind of sitting there like a punching bag, take it, but then comes back with a little response of his own, right? And there's a little comedic relief at the end of that thing, probably not to make it so heavy. Uh, I heard a few of you chuckle at that. But the power of words is so true. Aren't words powerful? Like, don't they have the the power and the ability to really hurt and wound us or bring us up and build us up and encourage us and make us feel better. They could do one or the other. You see, there's this old saying back in elementary school that I heard, and it said, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And you know what? That's probably one of the worst therapeutic sayings I've ever heard in my life, you know, after coming around and thinking about it. Because one thing I've realized in my life is that very few things can hurt a person more than words. Very few things especially the words of a friend or of a loved one or of someone that you care for when they're directed towards you in a harsh and mean way. You see, and in this scene, we see Neil just go off on Dell with his words. He's speaking anger. He's throwing darts at him. He's getting very upset. And we, it's, it's a moment for us as the audience to pause and maybe even ask ourselves, you know, have we ever been there before? Have you ever bit your tongue trying not to be there? Making sure that you don't go off quite like Neil did. You see, the scriptures say that for any of us, taming the tongue and controlling our words is going to be something that we're going to have to be intentional about and that we're going to need God's help to do. We're going to need the Holy Spirit's help to do it. James chapter 2, 9 and 10 says it like this, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praising and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Proverbs 18 says it like this, that there's, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And so our words are powerful. Our words carry meaning. Our words have the ability to hurt each other, probably even more than, than we have the ability to hurt each other with a fight, with, you know, with throwing punches. Words go deep. And as we see in that clip that I just showed there, that you know, in this case, you know, they had the potential to really hurt someone and really, really, really cause wounds for Dell. And the Apostle Paul knew that as people in the church, we would face difficult situations. We would encounter difficult people. We would have the opportunity in certain situations to either respond in the way of the kingdom or respond in the way of the flesh, so to say. In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 23 and 24, the Apostle Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. Be patient with difficult people. And so the Apostle Paul knew that, you know, dealing with difficult people would be something that we would face in life, and that the best way to face it is that we'd be people who have patience. As people who are created for community, God never intended for us to live life alone. And sometimes we have people who come into our lives who are just going to downright annoy us and drive us crazy, but we have the opportunity in that moment to choose how we will respond with our words. Will we build up or will we tear down? You see, the Bible tells us that there's going to be difficult people, and sometimes people annoy us, but perhaps on the same end, maybe sometimes we annoy other people as well. Have you ever considered that? You know, I remember, I remember, you know, it was like a revelation to me, meeting someone who didn't like me, and I was like, well, how can't you like me, right? You know, it's just that, that absolute ignorance, right? That you think that everyone should, should agree with you, think like you, be like you, uh, you know, just have interests like you. 
And yet, for some of us, you know, relationships with each other are going to be a little bit more tense. They're going to be a little bit more difficult. Difficult because we're different. And we're unique. And we're in different places. In Galatians 5, we read this. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is this. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we see a contrast in which the flesh living according to the sinful nature will war against living according to the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is much more pleasant than what we see, what we can do and accomplish on our own in the flesh. You see, following the sinful nature produces selfish ambition, quarreling, envy, jealousy, and those things are right up there in that list with idolatry and witchcraft and sorcery and things like that. They're all in the same list. They're all a part of the same group of behaviors. But the Holy Spirit is with us, and God did not leave us stranded on like this island of our sin alone, but he says that you can move off of that island and onto a new island of redemption, of restoration, of patience, of kindness, of goodness, of peace, of healing, of self-control. For the Holy Spirit is with you, and he promises to produce this good fruit in your lives as you live and keep in step with the Spirit. And so there's a difference in responses on how we can go about this. You see, none of this catches God by surprise. He knows that there's going to be struggle in our relationships. We're not the same, and different is difficult, but it's the way we navigate those things where we have the opportunity, as we read earlier, to either bring glory unto him or do something different. You see, Romans 12, 18 says it like this. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with each other as much as it depends on you. Even if people are difficult, even if people are, you know, driving you nuts like Dell is driving Neil crazy. As far as it depends on you, try to live at peace with one another. And as Christians, it's not enough to even peacekeep because Jesus didn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers in Matthew 5, 9. And so we initiate peace. Peace doesn't just happen accidentally. Peace doesn't just, doesn't just find itself in our lives. But we actually set out and we seek to make it in our relationships even. Even those who are EGR in your life, right? Even those who have, you know, you need, EGR means extra grace required, right? Um, even those people who you know when you get together with them that you're going to need a little extra grace, you're going to need a little bit of extra, you know, patience with them. That you just know that when you hang with them, it's going to be tough on you. In those situations, Jesus still calls us to watch our tongue and to choose the way of the Spirit, not the way of the flesh. And it's easier said than done, friends, but I believe that with his help, we can become a people who build up and not tear down, who lift each other up, and who encourage one another, and not seek to, to bring each other down in situations. Let's look at another clip here. The things we experience with each other, right? Uh, this is one of those clips that up until this point, they had tried many ways already in which to get Neil home. They tried to get there by plane, and the plane got canceled because of weather. They tried to get there by train, and the train had broken down at this point. They jumped on a bus, which led to all sorts of interesting scenes in the movie. And uh, eventually, Neil wanted to rent a, a car in order to get home. And when he got to his spot to get his car, the car wasn't there. And I left that scene out for, for certain reasons. Um, if you watch the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. 
But um, at this point in the movie, Dell ends up getting a card. Neil jumps in with him, and they're on their way. He has a moment there where his coat gets stuck in the vehicle, and he kind of loses control of the vehicle, does a big spin around 360, and jumps back into, onto the highway the wrong way. And then you saw what kind of encountered there. But the reason why I, I put that clip in was, one, because it's kind of funny, right? And it kind of, you know, it's kind of interesting. But also, it, it, it gives us a moment to kind of sit back and stop for a second and even examine our own selves. And the question is, I guess, when you watch something like that is, are we always going in the right direction? <laughs> are we always headed down the path that we should be? Do you step back long enough sometimes to assess whether or not you're even on the right highway when it comes to life and where it comes to where God wants you to be? Um, how are we with advice? Do we avoid advice? Does people giving advice make us angry? You see, when the guy across the road was trying to give them advice in that scene, you know, they were making fun of it. They were saying he's drunk. They were saying, you know, how would he know where we're going, right? And, and yet he actually had something for them that could have potentially saved their lives, and they're lucky they made it through it. Um, I think they made it through it because the movie would have been a terrible ending, right? But uh, do we ever have sometimes, do we ever have trouble admitting we're wrong sometimes when we're in a situation? You see, I think every one of us would do well sometimes just to take a step back and just to pull over and just pause and just slow down and take time to examine the directions that our lives are headed in. And are we going down the wrong path? And in our relationships, this is true as well. Are we, are, are we, are we treating people right? Are we investing in people? Are we, are we simply just taking or are we giving back? Are we, are we going in the right direction? Proverbs 12, 15 says it like this, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. And so listening to counsel isn't something that makes us weak. It isn't something that makes us uh, lesser, but it's actually something that the Bible would say makes us wise. It's wise sometimes just to pull over. It's wise sometimes just to stop and heed counsel and heed advice. And so are we open enough in our relationships and interactions with other people that we're able to receive good counsel and receive good advice when needed? You see, Scripture shows us that for those of us who are willing to receive direction, um, the good things in life lie ahead. But those who, who, who fight it and aren't open to it, well, you kind of just remain where you are. And you can find yourself in all sorts of situations that you probably don't want to find yourself in. And my hope is, is that if we take something from our life lesson this morning, maybe we examine where we're at, maybe we just... Take a moment and pause and consider what it means to love God, love yourself, and love other people and how that looks and how that plays out in your day-to-day. -day. May we receive guidance and leading from the scriptures from those close to us. Will we not make the mistake of thinking we know it all and end up down a path that no one wants to be? And so what eventually happens after they pick up his stuff off the road is the car starts on fire because Dell accidentally flicked his cigarette into the back seat and they had no idea about it. And at this point, Neil, Steve Martin, takes an opportunity just to start laughing because he thinks Dell just burnt down his own rental car, right? And he's laughing his head off and thinks, you finally did it to yourself. You finally hurt yourself and not me. But what he fails to realize is somewhere along the scenes when they were checking into a hotel, their credit cards got swapped, right? And... And the car was actually put on Steve, on Neil's visa, and not necessarily Dell's. And the scene ends with a good solid punch below the neck. And, uh, and it takes us here. Let's go to the next scene. All right, so Neil has hit a breaking point in the journey with this guy. And he wants to be alone. And he's about to go to sleep. He, fall, he spots Dell sitting out in the burnt down car. And he's cold. And, you know, he, he has this little moment, almost like something seems to hit him here in this scene. 
Uh, he has this moment, almost an, an epiphany, where the movie completely changes directions. Um, Roger Ebert, when he wrote his review for this movie, uh, kind of compared this moment to, to, to Neil's Scrooge moment, where all of a sudden he develops a heart and he begins to be able to see Dell uh, in a different way. And after he invites him into his, house, into his room uh, so he can have a warm sleep, they end up, you know, having drinks, having a little bit of food. They're, they're laughing. They're having a good time. And, and everything seems to change from this moment on. Even when things were brutal and bad and frustrating and, and, and they were angry, this is a moment where he kind of let his guard down and, and allowed himself to see kind of, you know, the situation for what it was and Dell for who he is. Um, and it was a little messy, for sure, <laughs> but yet it was quite valuable. You see, and Paul, the Apostle Paul in, in Colossians says this to the church. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, with kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. And if any of you has any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. And so as a follower of Christ, we are people who look through the layers of dirt and we seek out the treasure in others. Um, I could almost say it like this. I, I read this before. I heard this before. It made sense to me. But I had someone once in a book say, become a gold digger in your life. And now I know, depending on which generation you're from, that can mean different things, right? You know, for some of us, you know, uh, you know I ain't saying you're a gold digger, right? Like, you know, it, it, it can come across as, you know, someone who marries someone for their money. There's that definition of what a gold digger is. There's also other definitions. You see, a gold digger in our culture for others, digging for gold is someone, you know, who's, you know, involves someone whose fingers are a little too closely associated with their nasal passages from time to time, right? And so we have that definition when we talk about digging for gold. But today, I am literally talking this morning about the process of digging for gold. Uh, because as you dig for gold, before you find the treasure of gold, you first have to uncover and go through a lot of dirt. You go through a lot of dirt. Before you will ever find gold, you will first find dirt. And the dirt isn't what's important in the process. But finding and uncovering the gold is. You see, no one is looking for an expert dirt finder. Uh, there's nothing admirable, there's nothing difficult about finding dirt and pointing it out. But what we are looking for is we look for gold, we look for the treasure. And this is especially true in regards to our relationships with other people, especially difficult people. We can sit there and point out dirt. We can sit there and point out all the flaws we see. We can sit there and point out the things that annoy us and frustrate us. Or we could choose to take it another level and choose to dig and choose to look for something good inside of people. You see, dirt isn't hard to find. It's quite easy to find. And in relationships with each other and interactions with other people, it's even easier to find dirt if we wanted to. You know, there's that person who just annoys you at school. There's that person who just drives you nuts at work. There's that person who gets in your way as you're driving down Pemina. I know all about that. I, I, I understand that. And there's this temptation sometimes to focus on the flaws of others, and it's really easy to do that if we want to. But perhaps God would challenge us this morning that rather than just pointing out and focusing on dirt, maybe we need to begin a process of trying to see the gold within people. And trying to, try to, try, try to find the treasure that each one of us has. Because here's the truth. 
The truth is, is that people are created in God's image, whether you like them or not. We are all created in the image of God. And all are masterpieces made in his image. And all have ability to be redeemed, be restored, and to be saved. Amen? All of us. And so, in our relationships with one another, I think that there has to be a commitment. There has to be a desire. There has to be a, a, a move on our part to move past the dirt, to move past the bad personalities, past the awkwardness, past the language, you know, which is so easy to focus on, which is so easy to rest there. And some of us, you know, we act like it's a spiritual gift to see dirt in people's lives. But we need to look past all that and be people who search for the gold in a person's life, to look in that spot where they're created in the image of God, where there's reason for hope, where there's reason for redemption, where there's reason for restoration, where all can be saved, where God wants none to perish. And as a community here at Seoul, my prayer is that we would always be a place that never simply wants to show the dirt. Anyone in our society can do that. That's not a difficult thing to do, but what an amazing thing it would be to be able to look past the dirt in people, and if you just look close enough, you actually see that deep down inside of each one of us is a little gold. There's a little treasure. And there's something that could be redeemed. There's something that could be used. There's something that could be brought forth for God's glory. Amen? It's so common in our culture to do the opposite. And what an amazing thing it would be as Christians if we could just, instead of focusing on dirt, instead of focusing on all the things that are negative and that, 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 that we react bad towards, that we just focus in on the fact that people are created in God's image and there's reason for hope because there's a little treasure inside of each one of us. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, God even uses difficult people to develop us into his likeness. Amen? Not everyone cheers us on. Not everyone celebrates us. Not everyone's going to cater to us. Not everyone's going to agree with us. Not everyone's going to be on our side necessarily. But when God's love is revealed to you, and when you begin to know that love in your own life, you can pass it on to others. And rather than just searching for the flaws and just searching for the things that are so easy to find, you could look deeper and look deeper into a situation and find that there's something there in someone. Anyone ever had a relationship like that? You just thought, oh, this person, oh, this person. Oh, and and then, then one day you glimpsed upon something. And you thought, wow, there's treasure there. Wow, there's something there that could be redeemed and restored. And you know, if, if put in the right direction, it could be used to the glory of God in an amazing way. You see, when you discover how much God loves you, it's going to change your life. But it's not just going to change your life. It's going to change how you see other people around you. With the same grace that he's shown you, you're going to want to show it to others. And I think, you know, the life of Joseph in Scripture is a great example of that. How many difficult things did he face, right? He was sold into slavery. He was jailed as an innocent man. You know, he was forgotten when he should have been given a reward. You know, he could see dirt everywhere, so much of it if he chose to. And yet he chooses to not only bless those who hurt him, but to also protect them and to choose to see the best in them and to look out for them in the end. You see, Joseph's life teaches us that you can go through awful situations and you don't have to be an awful person towards others. And that's a challenge to me. That, 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 that hits me deep. I, I wish I could say I always choose that route. You see, you can go through bitter situations and you don't have to become a bitter person, which Joseph's life teaches us in Scripture. And sometimes, just like Neil, as we see in this movie, we need to exit the situation. We need to exit the mess. We need to just kind of take a step back from time to time and look at how we can see the best and how we can wish the best for someone else. 
And so that, that, that scene that we just watched is kind of the moment where it comes together. And, and from that moment on, everything's different. And they begin to have fun. And even the mess-ups, Dell doesn't quit messing up. He keeps doing things. Neil's able to kind of laugh at it, able to shrug at it a little bit more. Let's look at the final scene in the movie. A very uh, emotional scene uh, to end the movie. I remember watching this in my office this past week. I purposely stood on the stage here for that last part. Because I, I, I probably teared up every time I watched it. And I thought, how am I going to preach if I'm, if I'm crying on the stage on Sunday morning? Uh, but this movie gets you. It's one of those interesting movies that, it, you know, for the most part throughout it, it's goofy. There's lots of fun. There's lots of laughs. But there's a real serious point to it. There's a real ending. There's a real redemption. A real, uh, you know, looking at someone else and looking at someone else who's less fortunate than you and, and inviting them in and, and bringing them into your home and just caring for them. And you see, up until this point in the movie, life was all about Neil. I'm not even sure how he didn't clue into the fact that you have a guy following you trying to get you home and you haven't even once thought why this is happening. And as he took that train ride, it all started coming back to him and he had a pause moment, he had a reflection and he was able to see like, you know, this isn't just about me, but that, you know, like Dell has his own issues too. Dell has his own stuff going on as well. Dell has things that, you know, he needs to be cared for as well. The whole movie was about getting Neil home to his family and Neil focused on his own stuff that he couldn't really take much interest into the life of Dell or any other person for that matter. And yet at the end, we see this encounter where he's able all of a sudden to see things as they are and not just focus on his situation, but to also focus on the situation of another person. And when I started this message, we looked at Matthew chapter 22 and it's on the screen. I'm not going to read it. But the greatest commandment that, we could, that Jesus gave when he was asked this question was to love God with everything that we have and to love others as we love ourselves. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's an amazing thing what can happen when we live this command out. And so I leave you with a few questions this morning. Number one, who's the Del Griffith in your life today? Who's that person who you're so different than? that annoys you, frustrates you, at times angers you. Maybe God would say to you this morning that maybe instead of seeing them through your own eyes, maybe you need to see him through his eyes. Maybe you need to take a chance on that relationship and jump out and see how engaging with someone different than you can actually make you a better person in the end like we've seen happen with Neil in this movie. Perhaps the question is more personal. Maybe it's more who have I hurt with my words? Who have I perhaps offended or who have I been difficult to? You see, God never intended us for us to be the same. Life would be too boring, but different is difficult. And he intended for us to live together. And perhaps sometimes the, ch- the relationship that's going to challenge you the most is going to be the one that you need the most. You see, Dell wasn't necessarily the friendship or relationship that Neil wanted, but he was absolutely the friendship that Neil needed in his life. And through that relationship and through that interaction, you know, his life all of a sudden would look different after their encounter. And what if that's true in our own lives? What if God brings people into our paths who think differently than us, have different interests, dress differently than us, function differently, have different skills, different gifts than us? And what if in the midst of all of that and how odd that can feel and how awkward that can be sometimes, God is inviting us into a place where we can live out this great commandment of loving him and loving people and loving one another. And so my challenge for us this morning, as we conclude this, mor- this movie, I hope you enjoyed it. I, I recommend checking it out. There's a couple scenes, though, with a little language, okay? So I wouldn't give my, necessarily my pastoral check on that, okay? Just so you know. Just hear me out, okay? 
But don't miss the ordinary moments of life. They happen every day. Recognize that whatever you do this afternoon, you have an opportunity to bring glory to God through whatever comes your way. You have a choice to make. Remember that life isn't all about you and that this is a good thing and that this is God's intention for us, that we would not just focus on ourselves, but that we would focus on other people and be one who looks for gold in people's lives and not just an expert dirt finder. Remember that God's loved you, that his grace has changed you, and it has the power to change those around you as well. And so I leave that with you this morning. Take it to him in prayer. Search the scriptures, and as you love him, may we allow that same love that he's given us to flow into the people around us. I hope you've been challenged. I hope you've been encouraged this morning. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for each person in this room today. I thank you that you've made us unique, Lord, that we're different. And even in the midst of that, Lord, even in the midst of challenges and tension and difficulties that come with that, Lord, we have opportunity, Lord God, to give glory to you and to love one another and to care for each other. And I just pray, Lord, that you would just help us in our relationships. I pray for healing to broken relationships. I pray for strength, Lord, for people today who just need to step out, Lord God, and make the first move towards peacemaking. I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, guide us and walk with us and be with us, Lord. And that as we love you, Lord God, that you would also teach us and lead us to love other people. And so give us strength, Lord. Bless each one here today. And help us to make the most of every opportunity today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can I get everyone to stand this morning? We're going to end with the blessing. In ancient times, the one who blessed did so by extending hands, and those who want to receive a blessing did likewise. And so if you'd like to receive a blessing this morning, please just extend your hands. And here it is for you today. May you go into the world in peace. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Whether it be on planes, trains, or automobiles, or even right in your own home or community. So take us and use us, Lord, to love and to serve you and all people. In the power of your spirit and in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Happy, have a great Victoria Day. Go Jets, go. And I uh, hope you're encouraged this morning. We'll see you next week. Have a great uh, time today. <laughs>